Sox fans, are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones, and we're going to get you guys caught up on some of the action before the All-Star game. We're going to cover the uh, Winnipeg Jets and uh, Edmonton Oilers games. Uh, we're going to talk about the All-Star game, the skills competition, uh, how the Pacific team did. Uh, they did well in uh, one round and then not so well in the other round, but we'll get to all that. Um, we have some practice updates with uh, Silverberg and Thompson and some fan questions that kind of lead into uh, some of the cap issues that the Ducks are going to be experiencing with uh, hopefully Thompson returning soon here. But uh, we're going to go back right before the uh, the All-Star break. The uh, Ducks had two games uh, before and they played Winnipeg and they played Edmonton. Uh, the game against Winnipeg, the Ducks actually uh, didn't play as well, but they pulled this one out, Eddie. They won this game 3-2. to two. Uh, Special teams was the story of this game. Uh, the Ducks getting a power play goal and a shorthanded goal and then hanging on at the end, and they ended up pulling this one out uh, by one goal. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty good game. Uh, obviously, like you said, special teams played good. The power play actually continued to, to play well as of late. Um, up leading up until the the five day break that they had, uh, the, it's been improving, and then obviously getting the goal shorthanded. The penalty kill has been great; it was great in this game. They stopped all five uh, Winnipeg power plays, uh, which was key again to to their success in this game. And of course, Ber- Bernier as well. He had a good game. Uh, Winnipeg actually outshot the Ducks in this game, so I think it was a good effort all around. You know, they they got scored on first, but they rallied back and they were able to get two quick goals from Shaw and Raquel, and then obviously Getzlaff getting the the insurance marker. Obviously helped out with Ellers uh, scoring the late goal for for the Jets. So I think all in all a good game and, and a, a good two points for the Ducks. Yeah, like you mentioned, the uh, the Ducks scored again on the power play. Um, you know they scored shorthanded as well, and they also killed off all five of the Jets' power play uh, attempts. So the special teams was was really the winner in this game. And uh, Ricard Raquel, you know, he scored his 20th goal, so that's back-to-back seasons that he scored 20 goals, which is huge for him. Uh, we saw Getzloff getting on the board again as well with his seventh. So the Ducks uh, pulled this one out. Uh, they look to, you know, have some more momentum going uh, against Edmonton before the All-Star break. And unfortunately, in, the, in this game, the Ducks had, you know, a, a bad uh, few minutes uh, at the end of the second period in this game, they ended up getting down three nothing after two periods, and then they ultimately lost this one, Eddie, four uh, nothing heading into the All Star break. Yeah, and you know the the commentator has mentioned it a couple times. They kind of just looked like they were ready to go into the break, and it's disappointing to say that. I I mean, you don't want to say they gave up, but it was a sloppy game. They had 19 giveaways in this game. They they didn't get much going for them offensively, and. You know, they always had four goals on a limited amount of shots, and it wasn't even. It didn't even seem like a four nothing game. It's not like you, know, you look at it and you would say they played awful throughout the whole game. But there were points in the game where they looked pretty good, uh, not dominant, but they looked like they were handling it all right. But the fact is, they just looked like they were ready to go into the break. And you know, the Oilers got a couple quick goals at the end of the third, and that just seemed to be it for them. They didn't come out with much effort in in the uh, in sorry in the third period. They didn't come out with much effort, and Drysaddle scored early on. So, and that kind of sealed the deal from then on. Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, the Ducks had some chances. It looked like they, uh, you know, maybe were going to get on the board early in this game. Um, but they just couldn't get, uh, you know, one in, and it ended up being tied at the first period. It wasn't too bad, and then the second period is where it kind of fell apart for them. 
Um, you know, the Ducks, uh, they did win in the face-off circle and they did have more hits, but the turnovers was huge. If you look at the four goals that the uh, Oilers scored, three of the four were scored, you know, uh, either immediately or, or, or right thereafter a, uh, a turnover. So that was kind of the story in this game. Ducks weren't able to control the puck that well, Eddie. And uh, the way it went for the Ducks, it was kind of a big game because the Ducks would have been in first place heading into the All-Star break. Because they lost that game, they ended up being one point behind San Jose and Edmonton, who both had uh, 64 points, and the Ducks had 63 heading into the break. Yeah, and it's disappointing from their standings with Edmonton now is they've both got the same amount of games played. The Ducks have one point behind them, so that, like you said, would have pushed them in front of the Oilers with the, the same amount of games played before the break. Um, and, you know, they're not threat of dropping into the wild card. You know, they're still 10 points up on the Flames and the Blues, so they're in a good position, but it's disappointing for them. I think they wanted to finish at least, you know, they would have finished in top, but at least tied with them or tied with the Sharks, at least grabbing a point from this game. And it's disappointing that they were able to miss out on that. I mean, these games are big games, especially against the Sharks and the Oilers. They're four-point games, and these are games that at the end of the season they mean a lot. So it's disappointing that they weren't able to grab a point from this one. And uh, with that, you know, the Ducks then went into the All-Star break. Uh, Kessler and Fowler were the two participants from Anaheim. Um, you know, the All-Star game was in Los Angeles. They had the uh, the skills competition and then the three-on-three tournament. And what did you think, Eddie? You know, the uh, the skills competition, of course, uh, you know, the <laughs> it was funny at the beginning. The uh, the L.A. crowd wasn't too uh, friendly with the, the Sharks players. It wasn't too friendly with the Ducks players, which, you know, it wasn't something that we – you know, we're surprised by, but at least uh, Kessler's son, uh, Riker, you know, he came out uh, scoring that goal on Price, and uh, the crowd loved that. So at least we you know LA fans don't don't hate kids, right, Eddie? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty <laughs> funny watching the the intro and them booing Kessler and him blowing the the kiss to the fans. I think, I mean, that's just him. I mean, what do you? What else would you expect really coming from him? But it it was all right. I mean. They they said it, uh, that viewership was up almost like seventy percent for for this All Star game from last year's, but I don't know where they got that. That maybe <laughs> the hype built up from last year uh, contributed to the people watching it this. Year. I mean, I watched it, so I guess so. I mean, there's still some kind of pull for the All Star game. I think people almost just watch it sometimes now, hoping it's going to be great. Uh, but there was a lot of just weird stuff that went on in this one. I mean, the 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 hundred greatest players list, there, and that was a fun thing celebrating the the centennial season, and you know, a little bit of controversy with that list and who was put on it. Then you've got the celebrity all star game and the uh, the people they chose for that game. That was a little bit different, but they also didn't air that on TV. I don't think it was on their website. And then you go into the skills competition and just the the weird new event that they put in place. It's it's almost like they didn't like consult hockey players almost i mean they they had guys they had like the the front one from from just over the blue line where guys would shoot and try and pick the top corners and that we've seen that event with accuracy shooting so they kind of blend that from there and then they had guys shoot from center ice where they still had the top corners picked and the only one to make it was brent burns and, and you know then they also had the bottom corners and a couple guys made that then they also have them shooting from the far blue line and they still leave the top corners open and just five hole, which makes no sense. I mean, I don't know if anybody can pick the top corner from the far blue line. Uh, nobody got close. Let's just say that. And then you go to the the far net, and they still leave the top corners open. I mean, if somebody can make it, for, I mean, I the guys who were shooting and had it dropping at the far blue line, if that or they're shooting along the ice, I don't think anybody's gonna make top corner from the other side of the ice. So it's just a little bit weird the way they put it together. 
And then obviously they had the other events that we're used to. Riker Kessler, we saw a shot, uh, shot on the, the shootout, and he got the, the only goal for the Pacific <laughs> in the shootout against Carey Price. But it was an all right event. It wasn't too bad. Just a little bit of weird things that went on the, this weekend. Yeah, the uh, the list, you know, the 100 players that you talked about, there were actually six ducks on there. So um, we wrote a little article on that and put it out there. Uh, if you didn't hear the names, it was uh, obviously Tame Solani was on there, which wasn't a surprise. Uh, Scott Niedermeyer, Chris Pronger, uh, you know, not so surprised there either. Uh, the the other ducks that didn't play as much on the team that were also mentioned, though, were Sergey Fedorov, Adam Oates, and Yari Curry. Uh, no real surprises there. Um, some names that some people mentioned and were asking about were Paul Correa and J.S. Shiger. What did you think, Eddie? Uh, both of them were on there. Do you think that they should have been on there, either one or both? Um, I think no. Um, it's a tough list to put together, and, and there's obviously you know, this cause for controversy when anybody gets left off. But I, you know, I don't think that they should have been on it. I think they're great players. Like, I mean, this is the 100th greatest players of all time. I mean, they're going through generations here, and there's a, thousands of players that you could have picked from. So, no, I think they're up there. I think they'd probably be in the next 100 or, or just outside that. So I think not maybe not for this list, but then you look at some of the guys who were added. You saw Jonathan Taves was added, and Patrick Kane was, was added, and Duncan Keith were added to that as well. And I mean, I I mean, they're great players, don't get me wrong, but this is the 100 greatest players of all time. And you had some, like, I mean, Patrick Kane, I can maybe understand. Duncan Keith, I guess. And then Jonathan Taves, he's a great player, but is he the one of the 100 greatest players of all time? I mean, you leave off a guy like Evgeny Malkin. Uh, Joe Thornton wasn't on the list. I mean, there were some guys that it was just surprising to see them left off. But, you know, as for Korea and, and Jaguar, I mean, I think it would have been a little bit surprising to see them on, but you know, they they deserving. Yeah, that's what I thought. I I wasn't uh, Korea. wasn't too surprised that it was on there, but you know, maybe JS Shiger I thought would be on there. I mean, he did, you know, pretty much help the Ducks win the Stanley Cup. I mean, he really you know put it down, uh, you know, in two thousand seven. You know, he went all the way in two thousand three. You know, so I thought maybe that would be one, but um that's the way the list came out you know the the six that are on there for sure from the the um that had had some connection to the ducks all deserving as well so that that was good and like you said yeah it was a little bit weird seeing certain players on there that are still playing that you know i don't know like like you said with kane and taves i you know i don't really know i mean i know that there's like five bazillion chicago fans and and they all vote for the all-star game so i don't know maybe they somehow got in on this <laughs> list too i you know i don't know but Anyways, that, the, the top list is up there on the NHL website. We listed the uh, the six Ducks ones on ours, so you can check that out if you haven't seen it. And uh, I agree with you. I watched the skills competition a little bit, and I thought everything was fine. You know, the same old stuff, no big deal. But I agree with you. I think that that line challenge thing was just kind of out there. I, I mean, it's kind of kind of ridiculous. You kind of have to you know shoot really high and hope the puck hits those targets on the way down. I mean, it's just you know maybe if they did it closer, like at the uh, the faceoff circles or something like that, would maybe would have been a better difference. But uh, what did you think of the uh, the actual you know all star game slash you know I call it tournament because obviously each division plays and they they have this three on three deal. You know the Pacific uh, they took out the Central but then ended up losing to the the Metro in the finale. How did you think that that panned out? You think it was good as last year? The same? Less? Any uh, difference? Um, you know, I, I think last year was unique because of the whole John Scott situation. And I think people, especially the Pacific team, they were actually trying to win this for him. And the, the intensity of the games was a little bit higher. Uh, we saw in the last game, the Pacific and the, the Metro game, 
that was a little bit higher intensity because the, the million dollars on the line. Guys obviously want to not maybe not just for the million, but they want to have bragging rights to win. So you know they're going to try. But look at the earlier games: the ten three win by the Pacific, the ten six win by the Metro. Uh, at points in that game, you know there wasn't a lot of intensity, and we expect that I guess from an All Star game nowadays. But you know you kind of just find yourself casually watching it and. You know, you look up when you hear the goal horn, see if it was a nice goal. And I mean, maybe that's only me, but it's hard to draw your attention to it because you know the guys aren't out there trying. And of course, they're just trying to have fun, and you're not going to lay a guy out. But just it was more fun when you looked at the end of that last game, and it was such a close game, and you know the intensity kicked up a little bit, and you saw, you know, McDonough make a toe save to keep Kessler from tying the game. Like that's when it got a little bit more exciting. Yeah, it was really interesting because, like you said, the other two were kind of blowouts, you know, 10-3, 10-6. Uh, I, I was the same way. I was watching them, like you said, because it's kind of like, okay, here we go. You know, the, one team pulled ahead, and then you're just like, okay, this is kind of over or, already. And then uh, the finale was a little bit more intense, like you said. So I, I still like it. I still, you know, enjoy the format, the three-on-three three, uh, instead of the five-on-five. Five. I think it is a little bit more entertaining. And I agree with you. I think last year, obviously, with the uh, whole John Scott uh, a drama slash storyline, you know, that obviously made it, uh, you know, a hundred times up there as far as, you know, uh, a storyline and headline and whatnot. But it was still a good all-star game. I, I think that one of the funnier moments probably came with the celebrity <laughs> game, Eddie, as opposed to the regular game where we saw uh, Chris Pronger uh, check uh, Bieber into the uh, glass. And if you haven't seen it, there's a funny photo out there of Pronger smiling at Bieber's face just rubbed up in the glass. So I, I think of the weekend, that was probably one of my favorite moments, and that wasn't even part of the actual game. Yeah, that picture kind of blew up after. It was It was just hilarious. I mean, he, it's not like he laid him out, but when you look at the picture, it's just great. He's just... He's just smiling, and you see Bieber's face is scrunched up against the boards. <laughs> it's just—it's a funny picture, and it's weird that the highlight, I guess, of the event comes from the new celebrity shootout before the uh, before the actual skills competition and the games start. So it's pretty funny to see that. Yeah, I, I thought that was hilarious. Like you said, it did blow up as well. So, I mean, it was an interesting weekend. Uh, like like you said earlier, I would have changed that one skill competition event, either modify it or take it out. Um, but uh, you know, Kessler and Fowler did pretty well in the uh, the first uh, you know game that they played. Uh, Kessler had a goal and assist. Fowler had a goal and three assists. Um, so they played pretty well in the uh, the tournament as well. Eddie, and you know, nothing to be disappointed with the way that they represented the Ducks. Yeah, yeah, Fowler, like you said, had four points in the first game. Kessler played pretty well. He almost had the game tying goal in the last. Uh, the final against the Metro, but um, like I mentioned before, McDonough laid out and, and uh, got a toe on the save and it bounced off the crossbar and out. So it, it was exciting. They had a good tournament. Like you said, Kessler, for most of the events, actually let his son take place in most of the events that they had, which was pretty cool to see. And Fowler, I think he only per, uh, participated in the, I think it was the relay event or, or something like that. He participated in that one. Would have been interesting to see him participate in fastest skater. That would have been a cool one to see. I think he would have done well in that one. Uh, but nobody was beating McDavid. But all in all, I think it was a good event for for the Ducks players that have participated. Yeah, I agree, and I think it was a good weekend. And uh, the other moment I forgot to mention that I do like that you brought up was Kessler blowing the kisses to the crowd. I thought that was hilarious too. So, <laughs> you know, Kessler being Kessler, you know, that's why he's Kess boss. So that that was hilarious too. Uh, for him to, you know, uh, get back at the uh, the L.A. fans. But, uh, you know, the Ducks came out of the All-Star break. They hit the ice um, today, uh, Monday, January 30th. And on the ice, there were two people that a lot of people have been looking to see, and that was Silverberg 
and a non-contact uh, sweater. So he was out there uh, doing his normal thing. And Thompson, who had been down with the goals, had been brought back up, and he was in practice as well. He's still on the IR, but there's a lot of questions about this, Eddie, and what this means for the Ducks. And <laughs> you and I even did some research to make sure, uh, you know, because, I don't know, we're not mathematicians, people. But we looked at Cat Friendly, we figured out the math and, and what would happen if uh, Nate Thompson is to come back. And, and we realized that the Ducks can bring Nate Thompson back and still be under the cap um, only by about 200000 So <laughs> it's going to be a very big predicament. Uh, with the uh, trade deadline coming up, Eddie, whatever the Ducks are going to do, you and I have tried to come up with some options. Um, none of them we think are really maybe going to happen, but <laughs> we can kind of go into it now. Uh, you know, with Thompson does come back, it's not official yet. He's still on the IR, but when he does, uh, it, it's just this is going to be a problem that Murray's going to have to figure out. Yeah, I mean, we spent like a half an hour before this just trying to make sure everything was right with the math and everything, but it puts them in a difficult situation because, like you said, when he comes back, there's only about 200000 in cap space, which limits you from really calling anybody up unless you're sending guys down that are relatively at the same cap space. Um, and it kind of limits where they're at at a trade. We knew this was going to happen. We talked about it at the beginning of the season. We knew when Thompson was ready to come back, the Ducks were going to have to make some kind of move if they wanted to be at a area in their cap space that they could make deals or be able to call guys up freely. Um, so I don't really know what they're going to do. I mean, normally we would look at it and say, well, trading Clayton Stoner, if possible, would help them extremely right now. You know, he's got three million two hundred fifty thousand. Even if you can move two hundred thousand of that by bringing in another player who's got some cap it from a different team, that still gives you that two million dollars in cap space. But now with him on the IR and he's probably about two to four weeks away, you know that puts you so close to the deadline that you know unless he unless it's closer to two weeks, you don't know if he's going to be ready that any team is going to trade for him. Um, at the deadline, if they're going to trade for him at all. Um, that doesn't leave you too many more options to move. Like Maybe, yes, we've talked about it before, you could move Sammy Votnin and work out a deal there, but the, you know, the suitors for a player like that, there's a lot of them, but a lot of the ones where the Ducks are going to get a forward back to help them are also in cap issues. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've got extreme cap issues, they've got almost worse than the Ducks, and the fact that Hedman's new contract doesn't kick into next season, so they're they're making deals looking forward to them as well. Uh, and you look at the Detroit Red, Red Wings as well. They're, they've got the worst cap uh, than anybody in the league. They're over by they're at 80 million. So they're over by about 7, 8 million right now. So any deal that they're going to have to be made is difficult and compounded by the fact that Thompson has to come back. And with Stoner on the IR, there's not many more options you really have. Yeah, and that's what some of our fan questions are about. We have one from Marcos. He asked about you know if the Ducks are going to be buyers or sellers of the trade deadline. Uh, who's likely to be on the trade block? Who are they going to look at? And I, I really think all these questions are kind of moot, Eddie, because if you look at the situation now, if you bring in Thompson um, and say you don't send anybody out, say the Ducks do nothing at this trade deadline, well, if you look at the players that they could send down, your options are very limited. Um, you could send down Bull, which I know a lot of people would be doing jumping jacks and cartwheels over, which I, you know we wouldn't argue with you. That would get you another nine hundred thousand. Um, you could send Shaw down, which would get you a little over six hundred. Um, you know, there's not many players on here that are waiver exempt either that the Ducks would send. I mean, you know, Richie is, but they're not going to send him down. You have Casse, which maybe. Um, but either way, if you do all these moves, 
the best one actually would be bold to send down. That would get you, you know, the Ducks would be closer to a little over a million, uh, you know, room to to move some players around. But in terms of them being buyers and sellers, uh, I, it's kind of hard, Eddie. They're, I mean, they're really, I don't anticipate the Ducks doing a whole lot because, like you mentioned, some of these other teams that maybe you would say, okay, I'm going to try to trade uh, Stoner away if he's, you know, healthy by then or, or Votnin. It's going to be tough because you want to get back someone that costs less money. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, it's hard to answer that question and say they're going to be buyers or sellers in a traditional sense. You know, more more teams who are sellers are looking towards next season. They're out of the playoff picture and they're looking for picks. The Ducks might be sellers in the sense that they need to move out some cap space. So we talked about Stoner possibly being on the move him out if he's healthy and if any team is willing to take him. You know, they might be sellers in that sense. Uh, but I think you know, if they have the cap space and if they can work out a trade, they're going to be buyers. They're going to be looking to make a deal to make the team better. But with the situation they're in and with Thompson coming back, it's difficult to do that. They, they don't have a lot of room to work with any deal that they make. Um, they almost have to you know, be shedding cap or be taking on a little bit less than equal value. So it, it makes any deal difficult. I mean, you know, it adds a whole new aspect to any trade. Uh, that that Murray's going to make so it, it'll be interesting to see what they do but you know right now they can't really stand pat uh you know you've seen some teams in the past where they've put guys on the long-term injured reserve and they've been over the cap until playoffs and then once playoffs start you know the cap doesn't really come into to, to the picture and you can bring them off the long-term injured reserve but the Ducks don't really have that right now they can't really throw Stoner on the LTIR and say you can just sit down there until we're ready to go for playoffs. I don't see them really doing that. So, you know, a move is going to have to be made if it's just something as simple as sending Bull down to the minors and having about a million dollars in cap space to work with. And, you know, maybe they do that. Or they try and move Stoner or, you know, even possibly Bernier. We talked about that before the podcast, possibly moving him out or trying to make a trade where we move out Vatnin. Yeah, I mean, and, and that also goes to Garrett's question. You kind of answered. He was asking about whether Murray stands pat. You know, we're going to try and get that top winger. And another option you and I came up with, and it, and it is an off-the-wall option. I mean, everyone's going to go, what the hell is we talked about Bernier? And I know some people are like, well, wait a sec. Well, the thing is, is if you try and move him, he's at, you know, 4.1 million. You try and bring in a winger that's a little, you know, less of a cost in the three million range, maybe that could work. I mean, the Ducks did sign for Guerra recently, and they've got they just got a ton of goalies uh, down in the uh, the minors now. They've got Bull, they've got Tokarski, they got Hackett. Um, you know, they got all these guys that um, are there. Enroth um, that they just acquired, um, they could bring any one of them up. They still meet the expansion rules with uh, most of these goalies. Any one of them can fill in. And be available, uh, you know, come the expansion draft. So they don't have an issue on that part either. So that's another one to watch. I mean, I don't know if they would really consider it, but you and I looked at everything. And um, other than trying to move a defenseman, they're not going to move any forwards. I mean, you got to keep all the guys you have right now on the forward. So, I mean, if they're going to do something, um, Vatanen is one that we've talked about. We were pretty sure Fowler isn't going to get moved. I mean, we, we, we think, but, you know, based upon the way it's gone so far, but that's a possibility. I know it's kind of out there and I know people are probably going, what the hell? But I mean, if you're going to try and create space, you know, and, and then, like we said, the Ducks get Enroth and Fergera. I mean, it kind of makes you think why the Ducks go out and get, you know, these guys, um, 
you know, in a, in a move and then uh, give the other one a contract. It's kind of like they built up their goalies. You know, the Ducks may have to try that. I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm not saying that that's the perfect situation. This is just a very, very tricky situation. And this is another option that could be considered. Um, I, I really don't think the Ducks are going to do much, though. I, I think that they're just going to send one of the forwards down and and maybe sit on it, Eddie. Um, unless, like you said, they can get somebody to to go for one of those players. It's just, it's just a crazy situation right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they don't want to trade Bernie. I think he's been good. You know, this season hasn't been great, but we didn't expect too much from him this season. Obviously, Gibson's the guy who's going to shoulder most of the load, but. It's the whole injury with Stoner that kind of throws a wrench in things. I think he would have been the most viable guy to move out um, and just at least free up some sort of cap space at all if anybody was willing to take him. I know we've all, I think we've seen him go on waivers this season and nobody took him. So, you know, just trying to move him out for anything, just just to try and, and gain some cap space for, for the Ducks would have been the most viable option. But, yeah, like you said, with him on the injured reserve, it, it you know, Bernier becomes the second option. And with all the moves the Ducks have made lately with bringing in Enroth, we know that was for depth in the NH, or in the AHL, but, you know, he is an also a, a viable backup on an NHL team. He, he's he been a backup before. There's a possibility that he could do it again. And, you know, obviously, again, with the signing of Ryan Farger down um, to an NHL contract, now it kind of throws that up in the air as a possibility because the Ducks have been making, you know, the Enroth move made sense. The Farager move, you know, it's a little bit interesting signing him to an NHL contract now that, you know, Bernie possibly could be moved. And if they need to free up cap space, like you said, you're not going to trade one of those forwards. You know, you're not going to trade the big seven that we have. You're not going to trade, you know, Fowler or Lindholm. BX is not tradable at this point, I don't think. Um Unless you're trading Votnin, you have to look at Bernie. You just have to. I mean, $4 million is a tough thing to move, especially for a backup goalie. But if, if you can save a couple million dollars in cap space, I mean, the Ducks almost have no choice right now. Yeah, and then, you know, the issue too is uh, with that, um, you know, him getting moved I don't know. I just don't know if the Ducks will be able to swing anything. I, I just think that they're really stuck in, in this spot right now. It's just going to be difficult. Um, I, I mean, maybe Votnin would be the one to go, but even that's tough. At 4.8 for some other team, like you talked about, to take him on and then to give back a player uh, significantly lesser value to create room for the Ducks – it's going to be difficult. So this is the situation that the Ducks are in. Um, we knew it was going to be, you know, uh, tight, but now it's really tight. So I, I just don't know. I, I, I think the Ducks are, are stuck uh, unless they make some kind of a crazy trade uh, with someone out of the defense. There's just not much more doing here. I, I, that's just the way it looks to me. Um, like you said, the other thing is you try you could try to bury – uh, stoner for a while maybe you, you send him back down that's only going to get you a portion you know the ducks did that earlier in the season nobody picked him up i mean they could try that again um but with him on the ir and it looks like maybe for another four or five weeks that's just not going to help the situation either and i'll just tell you i'm glad i'm not murray right now eddie yeah uh, i mean they're not the worst position in the league when it comes to cap space and having to make a deal right now but it's a unique one i think because they would like to add for it, I would think. I mean, that seems to be the main issue right now is goal scoring for the Ducks. They have the the assets to do it. It's just the cap space is limiting from doing it. And and you know the timing of Thompson's comeback throws a wrench into things. You know, with a month to go until the trade deadline, 
you know, it, it's just, yeah, I wouldn't want to be him either. I mean, there's not many options, and any option is a difficult one. Moving Votnin is difficult because any team where you would get a suitable return is also in a difficult cap situation. And you look at, like I said, the Tampa Lightning, maybe moving him for, for Andre Pilat or for Tyler Johnson. Well, in a, in a normal world where, where the cap is an issue, that's fine. But, you know, the, the Lightning can't really afford to take on that extra $1.5 million in cap, and the Ducks really can't do a deal where they're taking any cap back or doing a one-for-one -one deal where the cap is pretty much the same. They need to shed some cap. And then, you, again, you look at the, the, the Detroit Red Wings with Thomas Tatar, Gustav Nyquist. They've come up as of late. You know, moving for them, you can't really throw any more cap on Detroit. They can't take it on either. And then, again, it comes back to the same situation. The Ducks can't do a like-for-like -like trade. They can't do a Fowler for Van Riemsdyk trade with, where they take on this, any more cap. It, it's just it's it's difficult. Finding a match for, for Vatanen is difficult. With Stoner on the IR, you can't move him. And then finding a match for a guy like Jonathan Bernie at his salary being a rental, you know, what is he worth? Um, how much of that salary can the Ducks really shed in any deal? Uh, I mean, it's tough. It, it's a really tough situation to be in for them right now. Yeah, and I think the best thing for the Ducks to do is, you know, and a lot of people will agree, is, is to send Bull down. That's really the best situation. If the Ducks don't make a move, if they don't trade a defenseman or anybody for that matter, uh, the, to me, that's the best one. I mean, that's the player of, of these forwards. You look at you. You look at the uh, you know the guys brought up from the goals or that have been with the Ducks most of the season. You're looking at Richie Camarosa, Casse, Shaw. Uh, you know, I think almost all of you out there agree to keep those guys up and send Bull down. And if you send Bull down, then the Ducks would be just over a million, and then they'd be able to bring up you know some of the other guys from the minors here and there, like they've been doing with Theodore Montour. The, you know they're under that million dollar number, so you can be able to work with that the rest of the way. That's what I would do if I was unable to make a trade. I, I don't see any other possibility um, for what the Ducks can do, and it's unfortunate because if you look at this team right now. They're playing well. I mean, you know, we've seen them in first place for a while. Now they're they're just outside of it by a point. Um, they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, how far they're going to go, I don't know. Uh, that's the question. And and I think with them unable to get another one of those type players, I think it's going to be tough, Eddie. I, I, I don't know if they're going to go that far in the playoffs uh, unless Murray pulls out some crazy rabbit out of a hat or something. Yeah, and you have to think about it too is, is how much is one player – going to help this team on forward and where do you find that player and you know again like we said the short-term option the best short-term option for them right now is to probably send down jared bull send them through waivers and get a little bit of cap relief so they can work out a you know have a more time to work out a deal but you, know, you look at this team where they stand right now they're seventh in goals against average they're eighth in the power play seventh in penalty kills so they're in the top 10 for all those stats but then you look at their goals per game and they're 20th you know they're in the bottom third of the NHL in, in, in goal scoring. But can one player really help them that much? That's the thing you have to think about. Do you trade away in, in a top talent like Sammy Botnin and can bring in a guy like Thomas Tatar, Andre Pilat, or Tyler Johnson, or, or Duchesne, or Landis Cock, or somebody else, if you can make a deal like that work, does that make the Ducks that much better of a team? And I think that's what they have to take into account. And it's not a fun situation to be in. I can only imagine what the management is going through. I mean, watching it as a fan from the outside is, is, is stressful enough. But, yeah, I, I mean, it will be interesting to see what they do. You know, and I think another thing that we've talked about on the podcast before that we didn't mention on this show is, you know, if they could just light a fire under Perry's you-know-what, 
uh, that would help solve some of the problem too, uh, like we've talked about. I mean, Perry's not played bad per se this season. I mean, he's got a ton of assists, but he's not scoring goals. Uh, and we've talked about juggling the lines a little bit, you know, spread, you know, uh, spreading the twins apart uh, on different lines and, and trying to do different things because you've got Kessler that's tearing it up. You have Raquel that's tearing it up. Um, you know, Silverberg was doing well until he got hurt, and hopefully he's going to be back here soon. Like we said, he was practicing today with contact. Um, I, I think that's another thing. I think he needs to step up, uh, and maybe if the Ducks just uh, keep the team as is, you know, send a few players down like you and I talked about, and he turns up a notch, then maybe they will be fine. I mean, historically he's done better the second half of the season, Um but that's another uh, added element, I would think, is maybe the Ducks will have to try to get that one uh, million dollar buffer, and then play with the lineup a little bit. Because, like you said, if you get rid of Botnin, or somehow Stoner gets you know, healthier, which I, I really doubt, or anybody's going to take him. But if you try to move a Botnin or a Fowler, someone of that caliber, um, like you said, what kind of player are you going to get? Are you going to get a rental that you're only going to have for a couple months? And is that player going to get you what you need in these couple months? Or are you going to be able to get someone that's going to at least be here maybe another season or so? Um, that's why I'm leaning more towards the Ducks, you know, on the trade deadline. Um, you know, we'll do our thing again. We'll, we'll, we'll have the live stuff and we'll, we'll talk about it and the moves and everything like that. And we'll post the updates that day like we, we've done the last couple seasons. But I honestly, I'm not really anticipating a whole lot going on that day for the Ducks. No, and you talked about Perry and his struggles. I mean, if the Ducks had four more goals as a team right now, they would jump up about five spots in goals per game. So they're not that far off in the middle of the pack. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are waiting for, and especially the team and management as well. Is, is Perry has to be scoring goals if they want to win. And a lot of people have stepped up. A lot of guys we talked about at the beginning of the season that had to step up if this team wants to win. We've had Richie who stepped up. Silverberg stepped up. Raquel has stepped up immensely. He already has 20 goals this season. Kessler has scored more goals than we expected. Getzlaff has seven, which is respectable for, for his output in the last few seasons. And you've had guys like Casse come up and Cramarosa come up and, and play pretty well as well. And, and really, if Perry had scored five or six more goals this season, the Ducks, I don't think we'd be talking about the Ducks being at, a, you know, they would still need goal scoring, but I don't think it would be as desperate as it is right now. And, yeah, I think that is the, the issue right now. I mean, can Perry really get going at a rate that, we, that we're that we used to from him? And if he can't, then they need to make a trade and bring somebody in that can supplement his goal-scoring struggles right now. But it's just thinks, how long can you wait for that to happen? You know, you've only got a month before you can make any deals to make this team better. So it really comes down to how long they want to wait to see if he's if he's going to get going. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a very valid point. I mean, when is that going to happen? We saw him turn it on for like a week and a half, two weeks stretch where he, he was scoring goals almost every other game, and then he cooled off again. So we know it's there. We know he still can do it. And, you know, of everybody uh, on the team, like you said, everybody else has stepped up on this team. Even Getzloff, as you mentioned, has now started scoring. Remember, he only had like one goal like two months into the season. Now he's, he's got seven. So they're all doing it. I mean, the pressure's really on uh, for him, in my mind. Um, another, uh, kind of situation that comes up too about the ducks, I thought was interesting. This was another fan question from Nick. He asks about the ducks going into overtime, the shootout losses, um, the overtime losses particularly, and again, going into the playoffs and how this affects the ducks and their killer instincts, so to speak. And do we think that, you know, 
that the overtime kind of inflates the ducks as far as points because you know you get more points when you lose in overtime and whatnot and obviously you know it used to not be that way back in the day it used to go to overtime and and it was different but anyways um i you know i think the fact that the ducks go into overtime and lose uh, you know we do harp on it and we've harped on it on this show of course a couple times about how they they you know lose almost every time on three on three but in terms of killer instinct or playoffs I don't really look at it like that, Eddie, because, I mean, when you go into the playoffs, there is no three-on-three overtime, you know? There is no four-on-four overtime. It's all five-on-five. So, yes, you want them to win the overtime. Yeah, you get these points if you lose, and it does inflate the the point total for the team. But as far as how it determines the Ducks playing in the playoffs or a killer instinct, I I think it's a separate analysis. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it really applies like it used to when we used to have five-on-five overtime and you could... I guess apply it over to playoffs, but it's a whole different game. Three on three is completely different from five on five. Playoff hockey is completely different from regular season hockey, and I don't think you can. I mean, you can make a correlation for it and say, you know, when it comes down to it in the key moments, the Ducks haven't been able to pull out a win, and I guess that is worrying. But again, it is three on three, and I think it's tough to say that because they haven't been able to do it in three on three, they're not going to be able to do it in playoff overtime hockey but i i you know it i can see where they're coming from so i mean i think it's something they need to work on i think it's something they've obviously tried to work on i mean nine overtime shootout losses this season that's not great but there are other teams who are out there as well i mean the ducks aren't alone in that aspect nashville has eight edmonton has eight you know there's other teams like dallas has 10 so there's other teams that have done worse than them they're at, at, at par with them actually most teams are at about seven eight nine or ten so it it just looks bad because we see it more often. I mean, we all watch Ducks games. We see it. It's painful. We see the Ducks lose in overtime every time they pretty much go into overtime. But I think as it comes to playoffs, I don't think it's really going to you know transfer over. I don't think you know they could lose in overtime in the playoffs, but I don't see it really being an aspect of their play in overtime during the regular season. Yeah, I agree with you. To me, the the thing that's interesting that he brings up is the killer instinct, and I think that's the issue that you and I have talked about before for the last you know four postseasons, and that's that's been the concern for the Ducks is is getting ahead of some of these teams three to two and not finishing it. You know, we've seen that. We've seen that against Detroit. We saw that against Chicago. You know, some of these teams that. The Ducks are there. They're in the position to win in game sixes. And we've harped on that because we've talked about, you know, people get so upset about game sevens, which you have every right to get upset, uh, you know, about them blowing it in game sevens. But they do blow it in game sixes. So to me, it, it's like you should be upset about both. So, you know, obviously different coach. The Ducks will make the playoffs. We'll have to see how it plays out. Um, but that's something that I want to see uh, for the Ducks in the playoffs is, is just that killer instinct. And I, I think it is there. I think that they can do it. We've seen them win a lot of close games now, um, you know, recently in this last four or five weeks. So I, I, I'm not too worried uh, about them winning close games. I just I just don't know how far they can go based upon the cap problems that you and I have talked about, the limited trade partners, uh, you know, everybody worried about the expansion draft. And ultimately, um, you know, Perry not coming through. I mean, the rest of the team has stepped up, and the, and the Ducks are a pretty decent, balanced team. But I think they need a little bit more, like you said. I mean, obviously a few more goals, and they'd be a little bit higher um, in the standings. But that's where I look for the playoffs. I, I really wouldn't worry about the overtime and the shootout losses too much. I mean, yes, we do bring it up, and yes, we get frustrated about it, and I know everybody else does. But in terms of playoffs, 
I, I wouldn't worry about it. I, that's not my concern. My concern is more or less the Ducks um, scoring in the playoffs and when they do have a chance to knock out a team that they actually do it. Yeah, and I think with this team, they're just a little bit short, like you said. I, I mean, you look at the other teams they're compared with, I think they're a better team than the Oilers. Um, I think the, you know, the Oilers are a very good team this season. They're obviously sitting above the Ducks points. I think the Ducks are just a built a little bit deeper on defense. I think their offense when it clicks and when everybody's going is better than the Oilers. You look at the Sharks, I think they're comparable to the Sharks. I think it's close there. Again, you look at the other teams top in the center right now. You look at Nashville. I think the Ducks are close to Nashville as well. Both teams have great goaltending, great defense. Goal scoring is a little bit absent for both teams right now, but they have guys who can get it done. And then Chicago and Minnesota are really the two top teams in the Western Conference. And I can't really count out the Ducks against either of them, and that's not being biased. I can't. I mean, we've seen close games against the Ducks in, in the Wild lately. I think the Ducks can match up against Chicago. They're, they'd obviously be tough games, but I don't. You know, I can't see them not winning. You know, I mean, I I could see. It, I think it would be close, but um, I think they're just that one piece away. If they can get somebody into that top six that can push that goals per game a little bit higher and get Perry going. I think this is a team that can compete and get to the Stanley Cup final. From there on, I don't know can they, you know, can they realistically beat a Washington Capitals team? Can they beat a Pittsburgh Penguins team? Uh, I mean, that's what I think it comes down to. Are they good enough to beat those top teams in the Eastern Conference? I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, I agree exactly. I, I think if the Ducks do somehow, you know, Murray works some magic here with this this crazy cap situation as we've harped on most of the show, and they're able to do that, I I, I agree with you. I think they can get to the big show but then of course playing an easter conference team some of the ones that you've thrown out there yeah that's a whole another ball game um uh, and you know the ducks are gonna uh, have to focus the rest of this you know season after the all-star break um that's what's happening this week the ducks are going to play the uh, colorado avalanche they're also got the panthers and the lightning in town um you know we've seen them uh play colorado and they've done pretty well uh, against them uh, the Panthers, obviously, they only see twice a season. And then the uh, the Lightning, the Ducks edged them out last time they played. So this week, uh, you know, I would look for the Ducks to get the ball rolling, Eddie. I mean, these are some winnable games as they uh, go here down the stretch. And as they play these three games, I'm looking for them, you know, hopefully to win all three. But, you know, definitely they should be able to win two of these three as this uh, week unfolds. Yeah, I, I think the Colorado one's a must win. I mean, it's at Honda Center. We've I mean, Colorado's been awful this season. There's no, you know, there's no getting around it. They've been bad. The Ducks have played well against them in the last two games. Um, you know, they won four-one on the twelfth of January, and then they they only scraped a two-one win against them on the nineteenth. But I think we all agreed that, you know, if it wasn't for Calvin Pickard in that game, the Ducks would have won that game a lot, you know, a lot easier than two to one. So I I think this is a game they have to win. And then you look at the two games on the road. Uh, the back-to-back one against Florida and Tampa Bay, I think it's a little bit better. Uh, it's not as m- much stress as a regular back-to-back. You don't have to go too far. It's just from Florida to Tampa Bay, so I think that's a little bit easier. Um, and these are two teams that have struggled lately. Florida's been uh, pretty awful in their last 10. They're 4-4-2, four, four, and, and the Lightning have uh, been even worse. They've been 3-5-2. and two. So these are two struggling teams right now, teams that were tops in, in the Atlantic last season. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, it's a difficult one. I think they should be able, like you said, scrape out a couple wins. 
the Panthers and the Lightning have been better at home. So if they can come out and get points in each of these games, that would be that would be great for them this week. You know, in another part of this month, uh, you know, kind of looking ahead too, that's huge, Eddie, is most of these games uh, for this month, you look at the schedule, the Ducks are on the road for, you know, a while um, coming up here in uh, February. Um, you know, they're going to start out with the uh, the five-game road trip. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Florida and Tampa Bay are, are doable. Uh, then you've got New York, Buffalo, Washington, and Minnesota. So, I mean, uh, actually a six-game road trip, excuse me. So, I mean, that's going to be huge. You're going to have some big games here. They'll come back home uh, for some other games um, at the end of the month. And they're also going to play L.A. twice. So that's going to be some battles as well. So you're looking at this next month. Um, it's going to be a tough. Most of the games are on the road. Um, you've got eight games on the road. You've got three games at home. So this is a big month for the Ducks as the, as they move down. Uh, you know the stretch for the the remainder of the season, Eddie. Yeah, and it like you said, it's a big test, and they've got three teams that are going to be huge test for them on this road trip. You've got the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. You've got the Capitals at Verizon Center. And you've got then you finish off the road trip against the Wild. And, and those are three of the best teams in the league right now. And you're playing them in their home arena. So it's going to be tough. The, the Ducks have been okay on the road. I mean, they're 11-9-6. and six. It's not awful. Um, but, you know, you would hope that they could pick up at least four out of the six wins um, on this road trip. You know, the, the three teams that you, I guess you should be beating if you're going to look at this are the Sabres, the uh, Panthers, and the Lightning. But, um, you know, this is a real test for them. I, I, like you said, a month where you're playing eight of these games on the road. I guess you can look at the Arizona and the L.A. games, and, you know, I guess they're not typical road games they're not like you're going across country and playing in new york or playing uh in washington but you know they're still in the other team's arena so they're going to be tough and, and this is a big big month for them um, i think it's going to define their positioning in the pacific division based on how well they do on these on this at least on this first uh, six game road trip yeah i agree i mean after they uh have this home game against colorado this big road trip is going to be huge uh, especially if they activate uh, Nate Thompson, get him back in there as well, as we talked about earlier. So that's really going to dictate what's going to happen. Um, you know, we want a really good start as the Ducks go through the rest of the season here uh, towards the playoffs. Um, with that, you know, uh, not too much other news around the league. Obviously, we talked about the All-Star game and, and all the festivities and the 100-player list and whatnot. Um, some other interesting news did come out, though, uh, today about the Islanders, Eddie. It looks like in a couple seasons they're going to be looking for a new home. Yeah, interesting news that came out saying that it looks like the Barclays Center is dumping the Islanders after the 2018-19 season. Um, from what I read from this article that was tweeted out from Bloomberg, is the financial operators at the, the Barclays Center believe that they'd make more money from just concerts and other events than they do from Islanders hockey games like they are already. I mean, the Islanders apparently have the third worst attendance in the NHL right now. It's just about 12,828 is their average attendance, which is, you know, which I mean, barring another word, it's just it's awful this season. <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting situation. I mean, I don't think I've ever really seen an NHL team get booted out of their, their arena. The Islanders um, situation has always been interesting since they've moved to Barclay, uh, Barclay Center. Uh, obviously, the stuff they had with Nassau and, and how far it was and, and the difficulty of the players having to play on the island and everything like that. So 
it, it, it'll be weird. I mean, right now I don't even know where they would go. And even the article doesn't say they don't really know they'd, where they would go. They're looking at putting an arena across from City Field, possibly having an arena there for the Islanders. But right now they the only home that they have is Barclay Center. They don't have anywhere else to go. Um, you know, they have a couple seasons to figure it out, but this is definitely a weird one. I don't think I've ever seen this before. Yeah. And, and you know, and part of the attendance problem is maybe it's that car. You know what? Maybe they need to move that car out, out of this blocking those few thousand seats or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, that, that, I always crack up watching those games, uh, there because you see the rink and then there's a car next to the rink. It's like, what the hell is that? So, um, I don't know. I think that, you're right. I don't think it was designed necessarily for hockey. You know, they had the drainage issues. They're they're big on the concerts and whatnot. I just could you imagine something like that at Honda Center? Could you imagine they go, hey, uh, yeah, we're making more money on the concerts. You know, hey, Ducks, uh, you can just uh, get out of Honda Center. It'd be like, what the hell are you guys talking about in Anaheim? It'd be like, where would the Ducks go? I mean, <laughs> could you imagine some kind of problem like that? I mean, it's just crazy. No, I mean, it, it is crazy. I mean, it's a beautiful arena. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it's it's a new arena. It's great. But it, like you said, it's not built for hockey. And from all like a lot of the quotes and stuff they had in this for fans, there's a lot of issues with seeing the game in the arena. Again, like you said, with the car and the seating issues and the ice issues and, and everything like that, it just doesn't seem like it was made with hockey in mind. I don't think it was. It was made for the Nets, and it was made for concerts and other events and stuff like that. And hockey came third, and, and it's becoming an issue for them. It's becoming an issue for the team and for the arena itself. And if they think they can make more money without the Islanders there, then I think you know it's best if they don't play there. I mean, you don't want to play an arena where, one, they don't want you, and, two, it's just not a great arena to play hockey. It's one of the worst in the NHL for, to play hockey games, and the ice is terrible. Uh, I mean, it's just not built for hockey, and I think it's good for them to get out and get into an arena where they where it's built for hockey, where they're, you know, where they can attract more fans, and, you know, I, I mean, they've looked at possibly returning to, to Long Island, but It'll be weird. It'll be. I mean, I, I don't know where they're gonna go. I think if they return to Long Island, there's a lot of fans from previous there when when NASA was there. It's you know their history is there, uh, but of course they've expressed the interest. The reason they even moved to the Barclays Center in, in the first place is they're looking to get more fans in the New York area. So it'll be interesting to see where they end up deciding to go in the next few seasons. Yeah, I guess the only good thing is they do have you know at least a couple years to try and figure this out. It's not you know not a lot of time. I mean, especially if uh, some kind of new uh, arena has to be built. But yeah, what a problem for them. I mean, that's unfortunate too. You know, and the Islanders are you know they're a staple in the NHL just as much as most of these other teams are, and hopefully they'll get that situation resolved. You know, um, but uh, with that, you know, this week like we talked about, the Ducks got three games coming up here. Um, they're going to start the big road trip. We hope they go out there uh, guns a-blazing and uh, get a good uh, start off after this All-Star game. So with that, we'll be back next week. We'll uh, cover you know some of the games as they start the road trip. Um, maybe some moves will get made or something will be done to try to figure out this cap situation that's just out of control. But otherwise, with that, stick with the Ducks. We'll see you in a week, and let's go Ducks. <laughs>